Thanks, Harry. Beautifully read, my friend. Hey, guys, I'm Nick. I'm the pastor here at 6 p.m., and it's so good to be here with you. Um, it'd be really great if you keep your Bibles open. Romans 15, we're going to be just digging into the Word there. Um, one of the most influential people in my young Christian life was a guy named Dave. Um, he was the scripture teacher slash chaplain at the school that I went to in high school, and he started when I was in about year 11. Um, and year 11's when you're starting to, you know, who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Where am I? And so I sort of got this opportunity with a guy like Dave to walk the journey of faith as I worked out who I was and where I was going. I was blessed by his teaching, by his ministry. And I left school and I was like, man, I miss Dave. It'd be great to see Dave. Kind of continued on in life and got engaged to my now wife, Becca. And we're like, well, let's, let's go to a new church together. We'll, we'll kind of start a new life together in that way. Walking through the doors of church and guess who's there? My boy, Dave. And God just weaved our journeys together again. And so in these moments of now being a young married couple and trying to work out what it means to be a young adult living for Jesus through study and then full-time work, I just had the privilege of my friend Dave just walking through that journey with me. He's just an absolute faithful weapon for the Lord. Um, his ministry at that school that I was at was just fruitful beyond compare. It's a state school where you wouldn't expect the gospel to be doing too much at all. But in his sort of four or five years there, he saw maybe 80, 90, 100 different non-Christian teenagers give their lives to Jesus and and go along to a youth group or to a church. Um, He was involved in just so many different aspects of school life, speaking the gospel to teachers, to to cleaners. He just had this amazing ministry. And in our church, he would consistently preach. And whenever he would come up and preach, you'd be like, this guy has got a gift. Like when he spoke, you listened. And he had this this wisdom that just oozed out of him. He's one of those preachers that as he speaks, you're just like writing down every word that he's saying, you know, ready to shape your life based on what he's saying. He was really a spectacular man. He still is. But but really at the heart of what makes Dave special is not his giftedness or his fruitfulness. It was just, it's just the man that he is. The reason that he had such an influence on me was not because he was so spectacular, but because he was quietly and humbly faithful. He was just a man who had worked out who Jesus was to him and worked out the gifting and the calling that God had made on his life, and he just poured himself out for Christ. That's why he was significant. He would be mortified if I shared more about who he is so that you could connect the dots to work out who he was. He does not want any glory for himself. But that's what I love about him. And that's why even today, there's just moments where I'm like, I really need to call Dave and just hear what Dave thinks about this. Um, Biography and pictures of Christians can be so powerful for us. We love to look at inspirational people through history who have accomplished so much for the Lord, but it's very rarely the beautiful, wonderful things that they do that actually have an impact on us. It's actually the, the picture and model of a life lived for Jesus. That's what matters. And that's what we've got here in Romans 15. We've got a picture of Paul the Apostle, potentially one of the most significant Christian figures in all of history. You know, you could trace almost a billion plus people and their faith back to this man and his ministry in the first century. He would get up and preach and and people would give their life to Jesus on the spot. He was gifted. And often we get to see just the, the fruit and the accomplishments of everything that Paul does as he writes his letters in the New Testament. But right here, we kind of get to get like a little sneak peek into the life of Paul. Kind of like we've been just kind of looking at the outside of his house for most of the time, but he's invited us in. He's like opened up his bedroom and he's showing us the decor. He's like, oh, you got a single bed, Paul. That's cool. You know, oh, what's in your pantry? Are you really like potato gems? That's great. You know, we're getting an inner workings of the Apostle Paul as we look at these words here. 
And I think it's important that we don't just think of this great man who has accomplished so much for Christ. He did have such a unique place in the church. God called him to be an apostle. That's not something that he calls us to in the same way. He did have a ministry to go to the Gentiles who had never heard the gospel before, not necessarily what he's calling you to. But if we're willing to open our eyes and look at the kind of man that God had forged him to be, I believe we've got a lot to learn. So there's just four things about the Apostle Paul I want to look at. I want to look at his purpose, his attitude, his motivation, and his dependence. His purpose, his attitude, his motivation, his dependence. So let's just look at his purpose first. Get your Bible open. Have a look with me at verse 15. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He's writing this letter to a church in Rome, Gentile believers, not Jewish believers necessarily. Um, and that means he's, he's pretty invested because he's the guy who God set apart for ministry to the Gentiles. He hasn't actually met these people face to face before. Um, so he's, he's in the past really longed to go and be with them. Right at the beginning of the letter, he said, hey, I'm sorry I couldn't make it when I said I would. Even in this section, he says, I really wish I could have made it, but I got hindered. Um, so in the meantime, he decided, well, I can't be there. I love these, these people and I want them to grow in Jesus. So I'll just write them a letter. Turns out to be one of the most significant letters in all of history, but that's fine, you know. Some of us have gifts and some of us don't, okay? <laughs> it's just amazing. He just puts together this letter to a church he's never heard of and it's just so significant. But we see his purpose here. He's writing to these people, and he, the reason he writes so boldly, he says, because of the grace God gave me. Because of the grace God gave me. Grace is one of those words that if you're a Christian or you've, you've heard about who Jesus is and really seen him for who he is, grace should make your heart sing. Grace should just bring joy to your life. Because grace changes everything. Grace is completely transformative. It's a word that just is filled in the New Testament where grace just oozes out of every page. And this word grace is so beautiful because it's a picture of an undeserved gift. It's something given to those who don't deserve it. It's a God who looks upon us in all of our brokenness and, and draws near to us to make us whole. It's a God who sees us in our rebellion against him. And instead of punishing us as we deserve, he draws us near as friends. He's a God who sees us in our sinfulness and says, I will forgive you everything that you've ever done, even though you don't deserve us. I'm going to take hold of you in the darkness and I'm going to lift you out and bring you into the light. Grace should change everything about you. This is the foundation of Christianity. It really is the absolute central truth. And Paul is saying, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm writing to you is because of the grace of God. You want to read a bit about Paul's story to encounter the grace of God? You might want to write this down. Acts chapter 9. It's this brilliant little biography of Paul's conversion. Um, he was a man who was genuinely looking to kill Christians because he believed they were just so wrong in the way that they were approaching God. He was on a journey to Damascus, going down a road, ready to grab a bunch of Christians and put them in prison. And Jesus reveals himself in power. And at that moment, he turns his entire life around. Jesus grabs hold of Paul in his mess and actually saves him from his own sinfulness. But here's the key thing. Paul doesn't just talk about how he was saved and the grace of God was good for his salvation. No, no. He says, because of the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Grace is beautiful because we're desperate for it. But God saves us out of darkness and puts us into light so that we can serve him. He, he forgives us of all our sins 
and make sure that we are completely pure in his sight. But then he sets us on a new path to live for him with everything that we have. And and that's exactly true for Paul. He literally did a 180 in his life, going from persecuting and killing Christians to proclaiming Jesus so that more people might become Christians. And he's saying, my whole purpose as a human is to be a minister for Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I'll give everything for it. And if you spend any time reading about Paul, you know that he means that. He'll give anything for the service of Jesus. Now, again, he's, he's an apostle. He's a unique figure. You, you're ready to tap out at this point. Well, I'm not like Paul. I could never be like that. But notice the language he uses here. He doesn't say the grace God gave me to be an apostle. He doesn't say the grace God gave me to be a preacher like no other. No, he says the grace God gave me to be a minister. Um, you, you might feel like that's a real religious church word, and we use that in contexts like this where I'm the minister and I'm preaching to you. But in the New Testament, that's not a, a religious word. It's a, a word that simply means servant. A word that means service or an assistant or someone who who gets alongside another. Um, It's the word, actually, that our word liturgy is derived from. Do you know what I mean when I say liturgy? Often we associate that as those moments in church when we say things together. It's like, oh, almighty praise the Jesus God. You know, like those moments of liturgy. Um, Really, liturgy at its heart just means a pattern and a structure of worship. Um, So often when you look at a prayer book, that's a liturgy because it's a pattern and a structure of worship. The way that we've done church together tonight, it has its own pattern and structure of worship. Paul is saying, my life is a liturgy to the Lord. Everything of me is a pattern and structure given to the worship of God. All of my life for him. I don't leave anything aside. I give him every little corner of who I am. I will pour out my life itself if he calls me to, because he has given me everything in his grace. If you want to see a bit more about how Paul does that, um, 2 Corinthians 11. Go go read that in your own time, but I'll give you the highlight reel. This is some of the stuff that Paul endured as he was trying to serve Jesus. He was flogged five times, up to 39 lashes, and they would stop at 40 because they used to think that if you got to 40, a lot of people would die. So he managed to get through that five times. That's pretty good. Um, He was beaten three different separate times. Um, He was stoned once, um, usually once and you're dead, but he managed to survive that, so that's pretty cool. Um, He was shipwrecked three times. I want to know why he got back on the boat. That just seems dumb to me. You know, you get shipwrecked once, okay, maybe that was just a freak accident twice, but three times. He says, I spent a whole night and day on the open sea. I was homeless. I was hungry. I was possessionless. And he says, I endured all of this, and I'm not telling you this to flex on you. I'm telling you this because you need to give everything to Jesus. You don't get to hold anything back. When Jesus saves you, he brings you into his service to be obedient to him, to follow him, to give him everything. This is what it looked like for Paul. Romans 15, you read from verse 17, verse 16, sorry. He says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's using priestly language. He's saying, God particularly gave me this ministry to go to those places where people who were not Jewish, who don't know the name of Jesus or know the name of God, he gave me that that role of sharing Jesus with them. And when they get saved by his grace, it's kind of like the offering that I'm putting on the altar towards him. That's what it looked like for Paul. But it might not look like that for you. You might not be gifted as an evangelist. You might not be a church planter, and that's okay. God's called every single one of us to a life lived for him, but it's always going to look different. He's made you uniquely. He's given you gifts. He's given you passions. 
But the thing that is common between Paul and us is that if we've been saved with Jesus, we want to give everything that we have to him. So I want to ask you, is that your purpose in life? Is it your purpose in life to give every ounce of your being to the service of Jesus? We've already covered how immeasurable his grace is. This isn't a moment where we feel like we're not good enough as believers. We're never going to fully make it. But are we in that journey of just laying down everything that we are towards him? Because that's the picture of Paul, and that's what Christ is calling us to. That's his purpose. Um, but the next thing is his attitude. And this, this is the bit that's been smashing me apart this week. As I've just been sitting in this passage, this has just been rebuking me to no end. Um, Paul has a, an attitude where he just wants to see Jesus get absolutely all of the glory. There's a tension in, in Christianity where God is the one who does absolutely everything. Yeah? When someone becomes a Christian, that's a moment where the Holy Spirit comes and opens the eyes of the blind where he softens the hard hearts of those who, who are rejecting him, where he brings people out of darkness into light. It's a spiritual miracle when someone becomes a Christian. Um, when someone is, is fighting sin and has a breakthrough, where suddenly they're able to step into a new way of life because Jesus was there, that's the act of God in their life. There's no way that any of us here can claim that in ourselves. Yeah, man, I converted that guy. It's because I'm really awesome. You know, like, We can't do that. It's entirely the work of God. But there's a temptation within us to do that. Why? Because we do get to be involved. Um, how does someone get converted by the powerful work of the Spirit? Well, God actually calls you and me to go and talk about Jesus. Um, it was one of the most humbling moments in my life was standing in front of a youth group and, and preaching the gospel. And a, a year nine girl came up to me and she said, I just feel like I need to give my life to Christ. And I was like, really? That was the worst sermon I've ever preached. But the Holy Spirit moves in power, yeah? There's no, no sense that we can take that for ourselves, but we, we want to because we're the ones who got to speak. We're the ones who got to act. When you get to encourage your brother or sister in their walk with Jesus and suddenly they start to make progress, you kind of want to feel good about that. You're like, man, I'm really good at this whole Christian thing, you know? But that, that can't be the way. We've already covered it. Paul, potentially one of the most gifted men in all of history, you know, planted churches all over the known world, preached and, and hundreds before him gave their life to Christ. Well, how does he approach it? Verse 17. This, this is amazing. Paul says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I glory in Christ Jesus. That glory word, um, it's pride. It's boasting. It's exalting. I just completely boast in Jesus because of what he's accomplishing. I completely exult in all that Christ is doing. I just, I just can't help but overflow with joy at what Christ has accomplished here as I get to serve him. Isn't that challenging? Like when, when someone comes up to you after you've done something for the Lord and says, wow, that was so profound and so meaningful, you just kind of feel like, wow, I just, maybe I am actually good at this. Whereas Paul, who's, who's up here in terms of giftedness, takes absolutely no credit for anything that God accomplishes through him. In fact, he says, I want nothing to do with that credit. I will pride, I will glory, I will boast, but I'll only ever do it in him, not in me. You just get a sense that it's like someone's coming at him with a compliment. He's like, I gotta get out of the way. Uh, Jesus, chuck it to Jesus. Like, it's not for me. I didn't do it. It was all him. And so he says, verse 18, um, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Anything. That's amazing. I will never talk about anything that I've done. I'll never try and mention anything that will make you think highly of me. I'll only ever mention what Christ has accomplished. And notice he says, through me. He's involved, but he takes no glory in that. He takes no pride in that. I think we, um, as Christians rightly, don't like the idea of pride um, because we want to be a humble people, yeah? And um, we don't want to be proud in the pattern of the world. 
Um, but there's a right place for pride. And that's when you get to see Christ at work. You should rejoice in what God does. You should boast about it. When you get, this is what Open Mic's all about. It's getting up and boasting in the Lord Jesus. When you get to see God at work, to get up and just be like, can you look at how amazing he is? Can you see the work that he's done in my life or this person's life? We should be those sorts of people. We should be willing to just give everything over to Christ, not taking any glory for ourselves, but pointing always to him. Um, I think that's really difficult. I think that's a journey. I think that's something that you've always got to check yourself. I don't know about you, but pride is, is a, a sin that just, it's like a creeping poison that just kind of works its way through my system where I think I've kind of managed to get rid of it and then it comes back. Um, but look at Paul. Look at his attitude. Glorying in Jesus, speaking of nothing except what Christ has accomplished. It's his attitude, um, his motivation. This is the last big one. Um, Paul has an ambition. An amb- He's not a man who does things by halves. He is ambitious for the Lord. And what does that look like? Verse 20, he says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundations. Again, ambition is not a very good word for Christians. We don't like that. We know we're not supposed to be ambitious like the pattern of this world, ambitious for career advancement, ambitious for wealth, ambitious for X, Y, Z. We kind of want to move that aside, and I think that's good. But there is a right place for ambition. We ought to be ambitious for what God is doing in the world. It makes sense. When you've got the infinite God standing behind you with his power that spoke worlds into motion, and when he sends us with a task to go and make disciples of all nations, we should be ambitious about that task. And that's exactly what Paul is is saying here. He's saying, "I, I am motivated to do anything to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus. I will shape my entire life around this purpose of me. I will give everything that I have to this mission because I believe that God will rescue those who are in their sin and dying. He gives everything over to it. It drove every one of his decisions. And you can even see it just in the little details of this letter where he's saying, I really wanted to come to you guys in Rome, but I couldn't. You look at me at verse 20, uh, sorry, 22. He says, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. What's hindered him? His ambition. He hasn't been able to visit because he's been too busy doing the work that God's called him to. He would have loved it. He would have gone to Rome. He would have just been like celebrated and appreciated for his ministry. They would have been like, man, that letter you wrote us was fantastic. You know, we're going to talk about that for the next 2,000 years. It's great. Instead, he says, it would be great for me to go on fellowship with you, to do church alongside you, but, but I've got a deeper purpose in life. I've got an ambition to see Christ known, and so I couldn't make it. I'm sorry. And he says, but, but I think I can make it now. Read with me again. Go for verse 23. He says, but now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions... And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I love this. He's saying, I, really, I am looking forward to coming and seeing you. I want to see the way that the Lord's worked in you. And there are good desires that we need to put aside sometimes for kingdom work. Um, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's not that he's not interested in the Romans. He loves them. He really does. But the gospel takes priority. And so he's saying, yeah, I can come and visit you, but it's on my way to Spain. (laughs) I'm going to preach the gospel in this place where no one's met him before, and I'm ready to do everything for them. And you know what? I actually think if I come via you, you might be able to support me in that. I might be able to bless you in your faith. We'll get to have that joyous moment of reunion. That's a good thing. 
but it's on the way to serving the Lord. That's a difficult decision. To, to, to not go and be with people that he knows he'll be blessed by. You can imagine he had a lonely life traveling around the world on foot, going to cities where he knows people are going to reject him as he talks about Jesus. This would have been a balm for his soul, people who love him and care for him. But he's willing to put that aside because he's ready to give it all to Jesus. He says, I'll, I'll come to you on my way to Spain, but first I've got to go to Jerusalem. That's you know, a couple thousand kilometer detour because he's got this, this offering that he needs to bring to the poor Jewish Christians. Nothing will stop this man serving the Lord. And nothing will stop this man being ambitious for the gospel to go forward. And I think this is really important for us because it's not just that we have a heart for the gospel. It's not just that we want to see people saved and we pray about it. Those are wonderful things. But you've got to make difficult decisions about your life. You've got to be willing to shape the person and the way of life that you live around this ambition for the gospel. Again, you're not Paul, you're not an apostle. No one's calling you to go and start a church planting ministry in the Mediterranean. If you're up for that, come talk to me. That sounds great. No one's calling you to that, though. Um, It's going to look different for every single one of us. But what's common is that we are a gospel people. We're a people who have been saved by the love of Jesus, and we want to see this world saved by the love of Jesus. And so we're going to make some difficult decisions about the shape of our life. And I think this is important to say, as a people who live mostly on the low and shore, that there is already a very well-established pattern of life in our area. It's one in which we find a career that means financial security, where we build up an ability to purchase property and to secure our future for ourselves and for our kids. Then we make sure that our kids get to the 19 extracurriculars that will make sure they're the kinds of people who can then get the career to then establish themselves for the future. And it's this picture of stability and security earned for ourselves. And we don't necessarily agree with that, but it's a way of life that is pushing in on every corner of our life here on the Lower North Shore. Whereas... If you talk to Paul about that, hey man, should I, um, should I you know, go and take this job and do these extra things and maybe I'll go to church once a month, he would just be outraged because it's, it's just so foreign to him. But for us, it's just so, it creeps into the way that we think. Are we willing to make difficult decisions to make sure that the gospel is the primary purpose of our lives? Are we willing to actually shape the details of our life to be a little bit uncomfortable to make sure that we have the opportunity to share our faith or to support people who are able to do ministry. It could look in a million different ways. I don't presume to tell you who God's made you to be and how he's shaping your life. But I want to ask you to think about it. What would it look like for you to have an ambition with your money, with your time, with your gifts, to see the gospel go forward? One really clear way that it's going to just hit us as our church is Andrew mentioned it in open mic. We're planting a new church in Macquarie. And you might be thinking, well, Nick, that seems like a dumb move. We've got a lot of people in Neutral Bay and Kirribilli who still need to hear the gospel. Um, We've got lots of work to be done in this church. You'd be totally right about that. But where are people passionate for the gospel? And there are thousands of people already in Macquarie, thousands of people moving into Macquarie who are unreached, who have never heard about Jesus. And we have a door that's been open to us. It's going to mean some hard moments where there's actually going to be people in our family here at 6 p.m. They're going to leave us. And we're going to lose the, the joy and privilege of doing life with them on a Sunday. And that might actually feel like, make you feel a bit wrong. You think, well, I don't want to be deprived of my best friend. And, and maybe you're going to see some of the pastors a little bit less because they're going to be investing some time over in Macquarie. And you go, well, I feel a little bit cheated because that's, I wanted to have Andrew here all the time. 
but actually we want to we release Andrew because we're a people for gospel work. We're willing to make some difficult decisions to make sure that the gospel can go forward. And it's in those moments of difficulty that we actually see God at work. We need to have a heart like Paul's and ambition like Paul's. Um, the last thing, and I'll, I'll let this be the last thing very quickly, is that Paul was a man who was dependent. He, he understood the necessity of prayer. So as he just closes up this bit to the Romans, he says, I urge you, this is verse 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. He's saying, I'm struggling in prayer for the gospel. Would you join me as I struggle? Would you struggle in prayer for me and with me? This struggle word, it's like wrestling. You read through Genesis, there's this picture of Jacob wrestling God in the night, and he refuses to let God go until God blesses him. That's the picture of prayer here, of people just wrestling with the Lord for the lost, wrestling with the Lord that the gospel might go to to unreached nations and people who need him. Um, That's a call that Paul recognizes he needs prayer, but it's also an invitation to every Christian, regardless of gifting or life stage, to commit to prayer. So we have, we have missionaries that we support all over the world here at church. And one of the, the primary things that we can do to genuinely contribute to people meeting Jesus and being saved is to struggle in prayer for them. So I, just, I want to leave it there. I'm going to invite Bronwyn up, who's going to give us a bit of a, an update on some of the link missionaries that we support specifically here at 6 p.m. It's the Masengo family who are serving in Zimbabwe. Um, they are serving particularly in university ministry reaching younger people with the gospel and, and starting a ministry there. Um, they actually have the opportunity to, to minister to people from all over Africa and all over the world in that university context. So in that way, they're really reaching the unreached. So I invite Bron up, and Bron's going to just give us a bit of an insight into their ministry, and we're going to pray for them.